This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Or like sort of understated or what? This is a land that prays for a hero. The humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on Triple R102.7 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's edition. Oh, of Greening the Apocalypse, three triple R's weekly, all sorts of stuff about all kinds of things show that has its uh, feet planted in ecology and energy and economics and politics and planning and food and farming and all myriads of stuff and uh, and so forth. If you've just joined in, that probably doesn't really do justice to the show. If you've been listening for long enough, you might kind of get where I'm coming from. It's show number 102, kids. Right, and I did the maths at the 42-minute mark tonight. We will be 102.7 shows old, <laughs> so we will therefore be the most qualified show here at Triple R <laughs> at the 102.7 mark. 42 minutes. Hello, Sarah Coles. Hello. How you be? Um, if you can't hear me very well, it's because the microphone smells funny, so I'm sitting <laughs> further back. <laughs> We're going to have to get our own covers. Yeah. Yes. Um, probably the person to talk to about such technical things would be one Jed McCartney. Hello. BYO. Yes. Yeah. 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 Do people do that? I, I have heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Seems but a bit precious, doesn't it, though, yeah. rocking up? You should just embrace all the family germs from Triple R. Yeah. You know? you get build th- my immunity, whatever <laughs> this is. A thematic cover. You get that, but it could be like the shape of a panda or something. Or, you know, I don't know, pandas. We love them. Um, this evening's theme. I'm going to hand over to Sarah Coles before I bury myself in uh, in something terrible. What um, are we going to do tonight, Colsey? Today we have the theme of fear. So yesterday afternoon, Adam and myself went to Coburg Mall to do our green, first ever Greening the Apocalypse Vox Pop. It was fun, huh? Yeah. And we asked people, do you have any major fears for the future? And the f- Did you feel like you learnt about humanity? Um, I feel like if we do that... Yeah, yeah I don't want to few days but by the your predictive ability of like oh yeah you you're gonna say something clever or or i learned if people looked hip they were more likely to say something boring to me yeah and if they had a mean looking face initially often if it lit up after you spoke to them they would say something excellent so mean looking people were good to approach so I'll let you continue now if you want. Anyway. In a strange way. So someone who might have looked a little sad or a little mean-spirited or everything, just the fact that you approached them as a person to talk to them and ask them their concerns may have actually alleviated their greatest underlying fear, that of isolation. You are a great person, Sarah Carl. Well, well I, I also re- had a bit of a reflection on the fact that, yeah, some of the more hipster-looking people we spoke to... Um, there was kind of a defence mechanism and maybe a bit of fear that they had that they wanted to sound clever and mm. smart and they, but the words weren't coming so there was like 
almost like they were asking us, was it morally appropriate for us to be putting them on the spot like this? <laughs> yeah. <And laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, that probably comes from a place of, of fear too. And, and that's a Western culture thing where we all have to build our own identities and constantly you're making them and not sure you're living up to a thing. And that's a, probably a theme we can return to, in t- you know, tonight. So yeah. we talk about the particular types of fear we have yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Um, why did we do this? <laughs> why did we approach people? Well, uh, we wanted to talk about fear and one of our ideas was to air our own dirty laundry and say th- the kind of things that have that, that have inspired us to make change in our lives, which are sometimes the very same things that get us not invited back to dinner parties because mm. they're quite grim. I was thinking about that, that... About more than a decade ago, when I was friends with you, people would come up to me and pull me aside a little bit and ask me, is Adam okay? <laughs> because you'd been talking about your fears of peak oil collapse. Yeah. So, Which isn't an issue that's actually gone away, by the way. Yeah, but mm. they were interpreting it as the beginning signs of severe mental illness yeah. in you. So it was, um, yeah, it's definitely a taboo sometimes. It, it is, and because it is a taboo to talk about it and you instinctively, um, you know, you don't speak up about these things, you sort of censor yourself. Mm. I wanted to ask people outright what their biggest fears were and just see if everyone does have these seething anxieties like I do. <laughs> You don't seem very anxious. No, I mean, I mean, in a lot of ways, I aren't on a day-to-day level. It comes out in my dreams a lot. Yeah. But um, intellectually, I have, um, yeah, some very deep fears about the future. And I wanted to hear if, you know, if we pull the cover back, if where, where other people stand on these things. Mm. Yeah, we definitely found some interesting things out. That's for sure. And it's hard. Do you find it hard to talk about your fears with some people, Bushy? Uh I had a little meeting of people last night and uh, I mentioned some stuff about, you know, food security and localised food security and things like that. And, yeah. and someone said to me, oh, you're a pessimist. And I said, I'm not. I'm an optimist with a pessimistic streak. Yeah. yeah. The same thing happens if you question the embodied energy of a solar panel. Mm. You'll yeah. get the same thing. So there's some things that it, it's very difficult to discuss. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of window dressing in the world. Um, this, yeah, well, I mean, way before we were uh, a, a society aware of the overreach um, and the limits to our own uh, our own structures, there was all sorts of other window dressing where you would, you know, families would hide alcoholism by, you know, tucking grandma or grandpa up in the back room every time friends have it. People always are looking to put their best game face on. You know, people would, you know, hide um, hide all sorts. People hide pain like blokes if you if you're ever knocking around with a bloke and he's in a position where he's trying to do the heavy literally heavy lifting and he's killing his back and it's like you hear him oh no that's that's good people and they love to put that that front on and i speak about this a fair bit because sometimes people ask me why i'm so forthright with my expression of fear or emotions or whatever and it's because i had a really you know hard time at 15 i had went through a fair bit of stuff back then and i kind of felt like that was when i 
got as low down as I could go. And I bounced back up from that. And I know... When you say low, like just like teen angst or you were actually feared about... You were fearing about big picture global issues? Well, that started to come on at that age, but it was kind of as a result of a lot of foundations in my life had just sort of fallen away at the time. With, you know, the the, uh, family sort of broke up and I'd, I'd lost an auntie and all sorts of things that happened. And as hardcore as they were at the time, they really helped me build up a much sort of greater sense of self-determination and, and strength and realise that it, that that was an awful time and I got through it and I, w- I was able to realise because prior to that I'd been very much the window dressing and trying to impress kids and curtailed to peer pressure and, you know, tried to be with the cool kids and they were all just dicks. Like those, those people <laughs> after I went through all that stuff weren't there and they weren't friends and they weren't foundational support in my life. So realising that that had all been an illusion built on just this nonsense realizing that as bad as things had gotten i got through them and i could get through them um i I just i don't sort of have a sense of shame or embarrassment or anything like that now to talk about inner concerns fears whatever you know i mean the other day after i'd had um football training with the megahertz i bumped into a friend and they said oh how are you and i said well if i'm really honest i've got a very sore testicle <laughs> um that and that's very honest that's a very weird thing to say to a person especially in a crowded restaurant <laughs> but i wasn't all that bothered by it because they asked me how i was so that was the truth of the matter <laughs> at the time I yep. would say amongst the people we talked to, the ones that were most forthcoming with their fears, it, you didn't, I didn't see it as a sign of personal weakness that they had them. It was kind of a sign of strength that they could talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this episode might depress you. So I think maybe if we just start with an image that happened yesterday to mm-hmm. open it and then we'll play the Vox Pop. Yeah. So um, an elderly man we spoke to emerged from a nut and spices shop carrying a container of coriander seeds. And he spoke about his fears of outbreak of World War Three. He spoke about religious clashes back in his country of origin in the Middle East. Like some really dark things would, he touched upon. And then I pointed at the coriander seeds that he was holding and asked him what he was cooking for dinner. And he's like, no, not dinner, planting. And then just started, he lit up and started talking about how he was going to grow all this coriander and he was really pumped about it. So I thought at the time this is kind of encapsulates greening the apocalypse because this guy knows that things are broken and quite bad. But he's still got, he still manages to be positive even though he has fear. Mm. I think that's what we're going for. Even to the point of, um, despite it all, finding some joy. Yeah. Yeah, and which can be a hard thing to maintain. It can also be a hard thing to talk about some of the stuff we cover on this show. And people say, but how can you seem kind of upbeat? And, well, I'm not upbeat about this, but I'm also, I refuse to like, live out those minutes, hours, years in misery. I just, I, that would be possibly worse than not confronting or facing up to it at all. Would it not? Yeah. So th- I love the story of this man with his coriander. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. Shall we hear it? Yeah, let's hear the Vox Pop. So it's not the most pleasant of questions, but mm-hmm. I'll ask you the first one and then you can decide. Yeah. Do you have deep fears about the future? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What are they? Well, I guess I'm worried about the planet not being, like, sustainable enough to, for us to live on. I'm a chef, so I can worry about a lot about fish stocks and things like that and global warming, deforestation. And, and, and I'm scared about, like, lots of beautiful natural places just being lost. Well, the economy, 
the housing market. At the moment, I think we're at the brink of war, and it's a matter of time, not uh, if. That there's so many nukes in the world that we're just going to go crazy and blow each other up. Money. Money. <laughs> yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah. I Any, feel that. Anything else? Uh, maybe... Uh, I'm single. <laughs> Money, love. Yeah. Those are common ones. Yeah. Yeah, people change and uh, like become scary because of drug use. There's too many things happening yeah. for safety, for security. Mm. I, I'm, I'm not probably not scared about the fall of capitalism. I'm excited about that, but um, scared that we might not um, be strong enough. Like there might be a bit of chaos before people go. Oh, the community is really strong and awesome, and we should build community. Fears. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of fears? Um. About the religions, about the wars, about yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. World War Three is coming. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. You can see all the corporations getting together with the governments. The, in a prophecy in the Bible said, like, World War, yeah. Um, for me, um, no, I don't, I don't have fears in the future. No. First person. Yeah. That's great. Because our life is in God's hands, not in our hands. Mm. He can take us wherever he wants. And then you die, you die. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Thank you. That's it. Yeah. Yep. So that was um, <laughs> our trip in Coburg Mall yesterday. <laughs> quite eclectic myths, wasn't yeah, it? Every no. demographic well, was represented. Well, we, we were going to. Uh, it was interesting to check in on what other people's fears were, but we we're going to talk about our own, right? Mm. Do, uh, do you want to tell us yours? Um, Sarah, well, I you found when I try and think about my fears. I find it hard to separate my personal fears from big picture fears. Did you? Do you find that? Totally. Yeah. So, like, I'd have a fear that I'm never going to have kids. Yeah. But then I have a fear that I am going to have kids. Yeah. You know, so I've got a personal fear that I'm just a fuck-up of a human who stuffs up relationships or something. Yeah. But then on a big picture thing, I'm like, the food's going to run out in probably 60 years, so maybe that's okay. So... Yeah. Or, like, personal would be breast cancer because it runs in the family. Yeah. And then big picture, that would be we live in a world that's carcinogenic. Increasing pollution. <laughs> yeah, more just of that a stuff. toxic. Yeah. You know, more and more people are getting these horrible diseases. Mm. You know, that's scary to me. So I think mine is, yeah, a lot of degenerative diseases yeah. freak me out. Well, can, can I paint a scenario that I feel like it hovers at the edge of my consciousness... Um, which sort of weaves in all the big picture and personal stuff is that, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty worried. Well, I'm, I'm afraid that like the, um, the climate change is just unsolvable because of tragedy of the commons, that there's enough fossil fuels in the ground to make it go really bad and that we'll burn them all up to the last drop. Uh, and that, There'll be economic crises along the way, which will be bigger than anything we've seen since the 30s. Um, and, it, and then there'll be like people, the, the West, the middle class who have just been so pampered and domesticated, you know, people like me in a way just won't know how to deal with the trauma or the loss of birthright of that. And the reaction will be to scapegoat people and politics will get nastier. Um, and personally, I'll have to choose between people I can 
you know, that your, your own ability to help people shrinks and to even help yourself. And so then you, you have to choose between who you help and who you don't. And that just is this awful um, feeling I have when I think about the future. And, and I worry about my parents getting older and having to go back. This is my biggest fear, going back to Terrelgan, to the Latrobe Valley, to take care of elderly parents and being an outsider there with no community and just considered a freak as like social cohesion starts to fall apart and the tr- um, trust dissipates and there's more street crime and reactionary politics and scapegoating of minorities. You know, like in, um, when the, in the fall of the Soviet Union, the, the Chechnyans who, who were a sort of oppressed minority and therefore had to have close family ties and spoke uh, a language that the police couldn't, um, in the collapse did relatively well because they had that social cohesion and um, they they essentially became unofficial supply chains of materials um, slash mafia <laughs> because the police found them harder to police. And then you've got a, a, a realistic sort of reason to, you know, for the mainstream Russians to hate them and then that's reactionary politics. And I, I don't know, I can just see... Horrible things happening. We saw a hint of that in Coburg Mall that we didn't play. Like, yeah. Well, we edited out one <laughs> racist rant. Um, yeah. Yeah. What are yours, Bushy? Um, I'm trying to get to that point where I don't say that I'm fearful anymore, but that I carry concerns. Um, because I think fear, and we're going to touch a little bit on this later in the show, but fear has a, an enormous capacity to... Um, create a paralysis in your thinking and in your actions. And you see that a lot with the manipulation of people through the media, through politics and so forth. My fears, um, probably more reckoning what you were talking about, Colsey, that you had always thought you wanted to have um, children but never did. Well, I did. And um, so if there's a concern within that, it is... Because you, ha- you have kids, so, mm. yeah, this stuff is, mm. as does Jed and... Mm. Um, I, I I haven't had kids partly because of fear, and mm. and um, when I see people that do and who are well informed about the future, it actually gives me a bit of hope. Mm. Um, a friend of mine said that um, the other night we were out, and um, he was just chatting away with Shrubby about stuff, and um, Shrubby, <laughs> this will get me emotional, um, said to him, "When he grows up, he's going to release every battery chicken. He's going to release all the chickens." Yeah. when he grows up and this um <clears throat> this friend of mine said to me and Sammy <laughs> that that boy who at that point i think had fallen asleep inside the house or something like that gave him incredible hope yeah so if i have a fear or a concern mm. it's not so much that i he won't be strong and informed and powerful and clever and talented yeah it's that the people around him who aren't and that won't understand him, and he already suffers from that sometimes where, because he's not a regular kid, like he doesn't yeah. run around with, you know, the, you know, kicking a football perfectly or anything like that, but he can identify just about every fucking bird in Australia and he knows how soil works and he knows all these other things. So my concern with that becomes, uh, you know, in, intellectual, intellectuals are no longer... Like everyone knows who Albert Einstein is. He was such a celebrated person. We don't celebrate intellectual identities anymore. In fact, more, moreover, the society tears them down. So people who stand out and who are clever and, like you're saying, 
maybe sit on the margins and are a bit freaky and unusual now will be inherently very useful in a mm. world where a lot of systems have collapsed. And that could be great. That could be a, an incredible benefit. You know, I often think to, I've saved, people say to me, oh, you know how to do a lot of really practical things. You're very handy, you know, very adaptable. And I, I say to them, um, nifty people get killed last. That's this kind of thing I say to people. People <laughs> that are useful get killed last. That's not necessarily true. Right. Because... It's pretty bleak, man. Well, it's a little bit bleak, but I've said it from time to time. So the other, the other thing becomes, I guess my fear becomes... Um, not that I wasn't, like, hitting a, a pretty high bar of bleakness. It's a pretty, but I yeah, think yeah, you yeah. may have outdone <laughs> me there with your implicit there's death squad thing going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I've got a lot of pitchforks in the shed. Um, <laughs> whether or not I can throw them accurately. No, but the, I guess one of the things that I'm seeing in the world now is uh, cream's not rising to the top, or if it is, it's very sour cream. So <laughs> we have this situation in the world where it just seems that the meanest and the most manipulative and the most ignorant and self-absorbed and divisive people are getting all the gold, so to speak. And kindness and compassion and sharing and all those sorts of stuff is almost like a freaky, weird thing to do. And yet I believe it's the inherent right thing to do. And my children are raised that way. And the people I spend time with are that way. So I have that concern that you know, good people during, you know, economic or social upheaval or whatever become targeted by very scared, very paranoid, ugly mobs. Um, so, yeah. So I, the other... But within that, I mean, we're going to talk about motivations later on, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. We'll come to that. Like, we... <laughs> Should we take a breather at this point? Because we've been pretty bleak consistently we have. for quite a bit there. And, and I know a lot of people think, but Tesla and my iPhone and everything's going to be okay. Mm. And these are not things that we don't, you know, dis- um, you know, we don't discount these things entirely. But uh, I think we've each sort of looked at the big picture and... Mm. and um, I discount Elon Musk entirely. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to go on the I'd record. love to do a show of that, uh, uh, yeah, in itself. Mm. Um, Indeed. Um yeah. We have been pretty bleak tonight. And we, we're, we're probably always bleak at the edges with our shows, but tonight we have been somewhat bleak. And I think it would be remiss of me to not mention that if you're listening to this um, and you're feeling a bit uneasy about things, um, or you know people who are, then there is someone you can call, and that's Lifeline. That's 131114. And they are people that you can speak to if you are feeling a bit bleak yourself. We should also say that we're, out, we're, we're outing our deepest fears, not our predictions for the future necessarily. Correct. But um, I think the fears are based on, um, you know, some kind of knowledge and, you know, educated guesses, but that's not to say that we think that everything's inevitably going that way. Mm. Yeah. You are listening to a Triple R podcast. <laughs> You're on Green in the Apocalypse on 3 Triple R. We have been airing publicly our deepest fears, personal and global. It got dark. It got dark. And then you cheered the world up with Leonard Cohen. <laughs> you puffing <laughs> Lenny. <laughs> it got light, though, because during the break, I got a new microphone. 
Um, Brian came in yeah, with, Brian with, yeah, came with a, new microphone a new sock. microphone He sock. held it up to me outside oh, before, I and I thought it was a coffee cup or a tea cup. <laughs> I thought he was going to say, you clean up after yourselves, please. But it was. He was the kindest act. Yeah. So there um, is hope. Um, so, we, yeah. I've been... Uh, a few months ago, I was reading about the brain chemicals and as, as they relate to fear. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to talk about... So I think, to some extent, um, you know, people say fear doesn't work as a motivator. And you know, I personally feel like it's got me doing a lot of changes in my life, which have turned really positive. Yeah. Um, but we could... So, so we'll spend this segment talking about that. But, yeah, let's start with a little bit of the science of the physiology of fear. Um, well, as you probably know, the fear response is almost totally automatic. So it starts in the brain. The nervous system has two parts, sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic. So sympathetic is fight or flight. Okay. You don't know this? No. Fight and or flight. And pa- parasympathetic is when you get home and you yawn and you stretch a bit. So parasympathetic is kind of nice. Okay. Sympathetics when you just freaked out, so you can. Um, You're always in one or the other. No, no. You, they they can run. You switching between them, but okay. some people get stuck in the stressed out one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but fear is slightly more complex than just those things. So they say there's fight or flight, but scientists have also decided that there's freeze as well, mm-hmm. because sometimes we freeze in traumatic situations. So fight or flight is. The reaction you have when there's hope. Mm-hmm. So um, you're surfing, you see a shark. Mick Fanning. Yeah, you punch it, that's fight or flight. You paddle to shore and you get away. But freeze would be like when you don't have any hope that you're going to survive. Mm. And you see it, researchers call that the dorsal dive. And it's good when animals are cornered by a predator. Right. So you drop, they drop to the ground and they kind of pretend that they're dead. And sometimes they get to live because if the predator only wants live prey, then they leave them alone. Do they think they're dead? Yeah, or if the predator attacks them, because they've got the freeze response, the, the blood pressure has dropped a lot, so they bleed far less if they are attacked. No shit. And also their head is close to the ground, so there's a good blood flow to the brain. Mm. So I mm. just thought that was interesting. In the context of asking people at Coburg Mall what their biggest fears were. Yeah. Because I felt like we encountered people that were having the freeze response to big things like climate change. You mean that they couldn't talk about that? Yeah, or that right. they, they're just they're not doing anything. In their lives yeah. about these big issue things. About not even climate change, about anything that they're truly afraid of. They're yeah. frozen in well, some ways. Well, I had a, a little bit of a look into um, fear as a motivator for changing behaviour and they talk about it as being a little bit of a bell curve. So a little bit of fear can be a motivator and too much can just push you um, over the hump into denial. Yeah. Does that make sense? So a, a moderate amount, you, no fear. I mean, there are other motivations for change, but yeah. if you don't apply any motivations, your only tool is fear. Um a little bit will make people change. Yeah. Um, too much will make them just go into denial, selective attention, and, yeah, just all sorts of defence responses. Yeah. And so maybe that's, I, I, you know, we, we might be making some long bows here, um, drawing connections between uh, fight, flight or freeze and inaction on climate change. But I don't know, it's worth discussing at least and, and, and definitely... Too much results in inaction. Too much fear. Mm. 
Yeah, it does. Um, I reckon in my in my worst moments over the years, since um, kind of be becoming aware of the bigger pictures of the world, um, when I'm really really petrified of things and maybe smoking a little bit too much of that particular botanical, which can cause paranoia and fear. <laughs> um, well, the bad stuff does. Um, and maybe digging a bit too deep into YouTube videos um, made by equally edgy people in their basement in Texas or whatever. <laughs> um, you, yeah, no, you can feel quite paralysed and your dreams are haunted and your sleep's not good and it's a self-perpetuating sense where you, like, your brain's not getting the rest it needs because yeah, you can't you sleep well. Yeah, you're not having any parasympathetic Not having... No, no, that's right. You you're can't sleep, in. you don't sleep, you feel knackered, you're trying to sort of get on with doing something, but you're so exposed and, and maybe you have a, a strong cup of coffee to keep yourself awake or, or you know, something with too much refined sugar in it and your body goes into... Bleh. So that that's, it can be this awful self-fulfilling prophecy, like this thing where... You'd like to be motivated and you'd like to be able to use that fear as a motivator, but you're so caught up in a loop of anxieties and things like that that you can't come back to that that start point anymore. Mm. And I, I've gone through that over the... I actually had a, a bit of the early couple of months of 2012. I had that full-blown sort of 2012 kind of syndrome that a lot of people had. Where I was just going, fuck, it's all just too full-on at the moment. And, um, you know, I, I even took myself to see a counsellor and just go, ah... And um, she wasn't that sort of sympathetic or useful, but I, after that, I sort of walked away having given her like 200 bucks for an anti-parasympathetic. <laughs> With, did she yawn and relax? More or telling, less, yeah. Yeah. And I just don't think I've got to go. And I think I realised at that point, I was like, well, it's going to cost me you know, this much cash to not feel that good. I should just kind of get on. And I kind of gave myself a boot in the ass anyway. Um, but as a motivator, fear as a motivator is really... Um, it's interesting because you, you hear that with you hear like not just fear as a motivator, but um, struggle as a motivator and those sorts of things. Like they're, they're probably not entirely the same, but people who, who push themselves up out of like really hard times to a better place than they were ever at, and they succeed. Um, maybe at a business venture or like a really good album that they're trying to record, or yeah, whatever. Um, I think those two sort of seem to go hand in hand. Like that realization that out of out of those doldrums, I was talking about that before. If you can realise that that's if that's the worst it's going to get, and you're, you're still alive, and you you still got all your limbs and all your faculties, and you can move up and out and be better for it. Yeah. There was um, when we were talk we were talking to Nabil, the owner of Half Moon Cafe, yesterday too, and he was talking about that the duality. Mm. Like, he goes, every time something good happens, something bad will happen. And then something good will happen. And then something bad will happen. And, and yeah. you can't really appreciate the good stuff without the bad. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think a certain amount of fear of the future can make you appreciate uh, what happens now. Mm. I, I, um, I, often, I often appreciate uh, Jane's Addiction's, like, first two albums, Nothing Shocking, and Richard B. Hello, Bitch, <laughs> much more. Because in 03, they, they put out this album called Strays, which was a piece of shit. And so, so that, that terrible example. album made me go back to those early ones and go, yeah, this is brilliant. Can, can I tell you something counterintuitive about how um, fear, at least being aware of one's own mortality, affects your decision-making? Mm. So um, judges were, um, in, a, in a study, were um, split into two groups, actual judges, and half of them were told to think about the nature of death and their own mortality and half of them weren't. And then they were asked to set the bond for um, a fictitious prostitute. Mm -hmm. um, 
one, which group do you think? Because we were saying, you know, thinking about fear and things makes you appreciate life, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you'd be like, live and let live. Yep. We'll set the bond lower for Is the prostitute. Is that what they did? The exact opposite. What? So they, it was 50 bucks was the bond for the judges who didn't ponder their own mortality. Yeah. $455 wow. on average for the ones that did. Now, there's a bit of... The, they think that considering mortality makes you more morally conservative mm. and uh, you, you punish minor infringements to your moral code. It also works the other way, that people who are conservative politically tend to have higher sensitivity to fear stimulus. And you can see there could be a potential feedback loop there that mm. if you're, um, you know, if you're conservative, you're conservative because you're more prone to fear and because you're more fearful, you become more morally conservative. One of the theories that they have for why people are more conservative is that fear of death is something kind of at the, it's a human thing that, mm. Like animals have fear, but it's immediate. Yep. And we have a kind. We can have this general background of dread and and fe- and the ultimate fear of dying. Mm. Um, and one of the ways we deal with that is to think about that we're part of something bigger, part of a culture, part of a religion, part of an institution or an idea that will live on without us. And for a lot of people, that is their moral code and religion and the conservative ideology perhaps mm. um, and, and so you become ever more wedded to that and just stringent about it mm. yeah mm. far out yeah <laughs> <laughs> well tell you what a while ago I, I think I've spoken a fair bit on the show in the last sort of 12 months about I'm getting more and more into watching and reading stuff by Brian Cox now he's not the only guy that talks about the universe and physics and all that sort of stuff but you know what There's a, he did this planet earth edition of Entropy uh, and he just talked about eventually, you know, one day in trillions and trillions of years in the future, there will be no stars twinkling in the night sky or heat or energy. Eventually, everything reaches an ultimate entropy point. <laughs> and as strange as, and talk about counterintuitive, oh, I yeah. took such solace in that. Really? Knowing that eventually everything's just silent and dark. I don't want to live in a world without the saucepan. No, no. <laughs> but, it, but, yeah. Yeah, it was. I just. I think it's. It, you do want to feel a part of a thing, and I've actually. I was talking about my fears. You know, five, six years ago, how I felt kind of paralysed by inaction and everything like that. Now I feel very motivated to take action, and in a weird way, one of those motivations is feeling as though I am part of something so massive and so enormous that it'll eventually be zero. That that's just great. That's weird. We've, like, been, we've been dark tonight, folks, but console yourself in the heat death of the universe. We better go to a track. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R FM in Melbourne, Australia. You're on Greening the Apocalypse on 3 Triple R. We just turned 102.7 shows old. We did. At 40 past the hour. 42. 42, 42 past, past seven. I've got a photo. I'll put it on Facebook. <laughs> and in trillions of years' time, it won't matter because of the heat death of the universe. <laughs> so tonight we have been um, sharing some of our deepest fears about the future and personally. It was, I don't know. Did you guys find it cathartic at all or just depressing to dwell no, in it? I do, I do find it cathartic to talk about it all the time. Yeah. And I feel, I've, as I said earlier in the show, I feel very lucky that I can talk about it. And it, I went through some hardship when I was a kid, and as a result of that, I realised that 
you know, I can talk about these things. And I'm, mm. but the best thing that anyone can do really is listen to someone who's really struggling to talk about it. I think that's something that I'm getting better at. Yeah. But that's a really vital thing mm. is not just to be able to express it yourself, but to find where people need to hear it. Yeah. The place to speak about it. How do you personally deal with fears, though, you dudes? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I would say that before I started thinking about some of these big picture um, fears, that, yeah, my life wasn't as good as it is now. So I, I think it has encouraged me to, it's motivated me to take a different life direction than I would have otherwise and learn about a whole lot of um, things that I wouldn't have, practical skills um, and... Yeah, you know, permaculture type stuff and just have developed, yeah, a whole, whole lot of things that mean I'm much better with money and I can fend for myself a bit more and spend more time in nature and in gardens and um, and in general, well, you know, I've co-authored a book called The Art of Frugal Hedonism, as you know, which yeah, is cool. an argument of why making changes in your life that resolve less consumption will result in a life that can indulge the senses mm. and um, is just richer and more free. But I didn't come to it from a positive place initially. I was a happy surprise along the way that all these um, positive benefits unfolded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just going to throw something in there. Is You're very good at um, communication, far better than I think you would probably ever give yourself credit for. Dispute resolution, is that a thing that you would consider an important skill and do you feel like you've gained <laughs> that along the way? Seriously, uh, dispute yeah, yeah. resolution. Definitely. You know, um, when, when I first <laughs> learned about some of this stuff and I was like, I'm going to help organise some local groups to deal with these big picture issues and talk about relocalization. And we had a meeting where there was, and I was completely unskilled in doing this stuff. We had a meeting where there was a death threat and the facilitator threw up his hands and said, I'm out of my depth here. And, uh, <laughs> and it was very revealing how, uh, unskilled I was in, in, in that sphere of things. Um, and yet it is, yeah, we, I mean, we, we, we live, um, we come from families where, of course, you're a kid. You don't have to do too much dispute resolution you get told what to do by an authority who knows a lot more than you do and then you go to a school and you're generally told what to do and and then you might transition straight to a workplace where there's kind of authority not heaps of sort of peer-to-peer um stuff and so you can get to adulthood without heaps of dispute resolution and group working and um you know all, all the kind of skills that will actually prove a, a lot more important if it's a case where there are less resources and therefore we have to share resources more, that requires a lot of human-to-human interaction. Yeah. And we have to develop these skills. What if I just train in the violent arts? That also works. So yeah. you could go down that route. If yeah, and got, then I'll fight you yeah. in the apocalypse. <laughs> have you got, have like, you got a drone, Sarah Cole? you got an armed <laughs> drone that we don't know about? Yeah. Is that yeah. like one of the new high-tech violent arts that people are now... Yeah, crowd-sourced it, crowd-funded yeah. it, a drone. Hellfire missiles, the whole thing. Uh, 
conflict, well, I, that's the reason I've mentioned conflict resolution there was because, or dispute resolution, is because a while ago this marvellous guy came to our house to tune our piano and he's blind, he's been blind his whole life. And I was chatting to him and I said, isn't it an amazing thing, a piano? And he gave me the exact year that the piano was invented. And if, when you open these things, when you undress the cover of a piano and see what's in it, it's a phenomenal thing. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible achievement of humankind, is a piano. And I said to him, it's uh, impo- incredible to think that the same species that can come up with something as beautiful and complicated as a piano can come up with all this other stuff. I said, we just seem to be a cursed species. And this fellow, he said to me, uh, I think we just need to get better at conflict. That's where we fuck up everything. And better at avoiding it or just better at No, no, be- better at working through it. Yes. <laughs> you know, he just, he, and he just yep. said, we don't do conflict properly. And so being able to dis- resolve those conflicts. Yeah. We're not seeing good examples of it at a big level right now, but I feel like, uh, you know, some of the classes I've done with yourself and Dan Palmer and some of those PDC, permaculture design courses, where you branch off from the actual design stuff and those direct facilitations and have com- conversations with people from fairly broad spectrum of society. Um, I think one of the most important skills, and we're talking about fear as a motivator here, the thing I'm really wanting to focus on much more as the future unfolds is that capacity to resolve people's fears and resolve conflict without leading to fists and knives and bombs. Now, it might mean shit all for me to do that on a personal day-to-day level, but it might not. It might also set someone else down a path where they do it and someone else does it. I met a a guy once who had spent time in an opal mining town um, in, I don't know, in, in outback Queensland and it was the kind of place where Australia's most wanted ended up there because of a full cash economy, mm. first name basis only, and um, small town. And he said when, it, when they first got there, uh, s- someone over uh, the, the dealer who would drove, drive around to mine to mine overpaid them a couple hundred bucks and they chased her down the driveway and paid it back to her. And she was at the beginning of her round and she went around the whole town and told everyone what had happened. That they'd paid her the money that yeah, she mistakenly given them. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a place where, you know, you're an outsider until you prove yourself. Well, they'd prove themselves as trustworthy people straight away. Nice. And he said in the couple of years they spent there, because um, there's, there's no external policing, so it has to be sort of self-policed. And if uh, someone rips somebody off, when they went to fill up with petrol, it'd be, oh, sorry, mate, we're out today. Ah. Because word we get around. And... Um, this particular fellow is now involved in an um, eco-village project um, and he said, look, I'm not a naturally gifted leader or um, a charismatic guy, but I've got this experience now and I, 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 I feel th- like this is real-world tested mm. um, dispute-solving strategies. Nice. And I feel like I, I, have, I have to take the mantle and uh, share this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Bloody oath. You've been listening to Greening the Apocalypse, and tonight we have been talking about fear. So it seems apt that I would play a song by Fear Factory. Before I go to that, I must say there's two YouTube channels you've got to check out. One's called Skill Cult, and it's awesome, and the other one's called Primitive Technology, also awesome. Lots of old hand skill survival sort of training stuff. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on 3 Triple R.
Yes, and Triple R is where you are. Greening the Apocalypse is the program. We are going to wrap up this evening. We have had a pretty heavy discussion about our uh, fears, both uh, little and personal and big picture and global. If you are feeling in any way um, affected or upset by the show, I would encourage you to get in touch with Lifeline 131114. There are people there 24 hours a day that can help you if you are not feeling in the best headspace. Good to see you, Colsey. And, uh, Jed, thanks very much for panelling as you do each week. And, Adam, uh, who is uh, going to be on the show next week? Excellent segue from tonight's show because we're going to be talking with Chido Guevara who's had, like, the worst childhood you could possibly... Like, an orphan at seven had to raise her ancient grandmother and her younger brother um, Mm. while suffering incredible hardships. But then has come to uh, become a global educator about mushrooms and sustainability education and a women's leader. Awesome. She's a legend. Superb. We will see you next Tuesday. But until then, do have all the fun. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au. 